Welcome to Savage Beast, a podcast about music. Uh, I'm Joe Gallagher, and here with me is Paul McLeod. Hey, everybody. How's it going? Uh, On this episode, we're going to be talking about uh, songs that have meaning. Uh, What takes a song from being merely a track that we like or remember fondly and turns it into an essential and often deeply personal piece of our life? Yes, which should not be taken as a uh, a slight to the meaningless tracks in our lives. No, those, we can get a lot of joy out of those. Those but, can uh, rock, but we're not <laughs> talking about them. Um, yeah. So first, a little bit of news. Well, uh, first, we should say that opening track was a uh, new track by a uh, gentleman I had never heard of before today named Mark Pritchard. And uh, the reason I know about it is because Tom York is on it, so... Um, he's a man who's brought a lot of meaningful music to our lives, so we had to, to use that, I think. Yeah, I mean, he's, he has a long history of uh, showing up on uh, sort of random people's tracks and making them, uh, introducing us to cool artists that yeah. way. Everybody um, go listen to Rabbit in Your Headlights by oh DJ my Shadow. God, yes. <laughs> um, I actually also loved uh, uh, Drugstore, uh, this mm-hmm. band. They had a... Uh, Paul, have you heard this? Uh, no. This like, oh man, how have you not heard this? It's, it's, uh, they had a single called El President, and it was a duet with Tom York. Oh, nice. Uh, and it is badass. Um, so Excellent. Yeah, uh, that's something for you to listen to immediately after this. I will do that. While we're at one other great one, Tom York duet is, uh, uh, sorry, uh, This Mess We're In with PJ Harvey. Oh yes, that is fantastic. <laughs> Yeah, um, so he might be getting to the point where you could have a whole Spotify playlist <laughs> of Tom York duets. That's a good point. Yeah, um, which we didn't even mean to do it. And look at this. Yeah. Um, cool. Yeah. So news. What were you saying, Joe? What was I saying? Um, well, just before the podcast started, we we're talking about that Action Bronson has a cookbook out. Uh, I should say rapper and gourmand and new media <laughs> sensation Action Bronson. Uh, it's called Fuck That's Delicious. Indeed. Uh, which I think he, he has a he has a web series named the same thing. Uh, it's uh, Yeah, it's on Vice. Yeah. I yeah. Um, and I, I just think, I think Action Bronson has basically the perfect life. Uh, he's a world famous rapper. Uh, he's delightfully fat and loves mm-hmm. it. And just gets to go around and like with his, he gets paid to go around and eat stuff and swear about it, which that's just... Uh, that's kind of my dream life. Yeah. I think we discussed one time how um, not only is he fat, but he's clearly reached the level where his fatness has no detrimental impact upon his life other than the fact that he might die at 45. Yeah. Um, so, 
you know, that's a pretty nice spot to be in. Definitely. He's a, he's a role model in uh, so many ways. Indeed. Uh, Sounds just like Ghostface. Both, it's yeah. just all great for him. He's a role model both uh, physically and spiritually. Indeed. And philosophically. Indeed. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, I hope my kids grow up to be like Action Bronson. Oh, man. All three of them, including yeah. your daughter. That would be kind of amazing. If she, if she has half as good a beard, I'll be very impressed. Nice. Um, nice. Um, <laughs> uh, so uh, this week, um, I made... Uh, you might think it's a very hard decision. It's a very easy decision. Uh, this week was my first we- wedding anniversary, and my favorite band and my wife's favorite band were playing on the same day here in beautiful Portland. Um, and uh, so I chose to uh, go see uh, my wife's favorite band with her, um, which was, uh, so that was, I chose to see Bruce Springsteen and the E Street Band uh, instead of seeing the Smashing Pumpkins for uh, the 10th time, or at least I think I've definitely seen Billy Corgan in various forms 10 times. Um, really have you? Wow. Yeah. Oh yeah. Uh, I've seen him. Yep. I've, Cause I've seen him at the pumpkins. I've seen him with Zwan. You were there. Have you ever? <laughs> uh, and, uh, and I saw him on his solo tour for his much underrated, uh, solo album, uh, the future embrace, uh, but I will not say anything more about that because we'll get into a Smashing Pumpkins discussion, and we just did that last week. Yeah. Um, so I went to see Bruce Springsteen and the E Street Band, uh, my first arena rock concert, uh, basically ever. Uh, really? And, like in an arena? I mean, I guess I went and saw. I mean, I saw. I guess I saw Radiohead in arena, so that that counts. Yeah. They're not, but they're not arena rock. Um, well, arguably. Yeah, maybe they are now. Um, yeah. Uh, but Bruce, uh, he was, uh, awesome. Uh, and, uh, he was playing his entirety of his album, his double album, the river, uh, which is one of his, his classics. Um, I, I believe it's from 1980. Um, and, uh, played it in its entirety. Um, and so Bruce Springsteen, Wait, is that all he played? No. Then he played okay. a bunch of his hit songs. Um, okay. And some of which are on the river. Uh, uh, and okay, so Bruce, he's like running around, rocking out, like he was. Mm-hmm. He crowd surfed. Um, does he still have tight '80s jeans? He does tight black nice. '80s jeans. So he's 66. And mm-hmm. to put this in perspective, that's that would be like Taylor Swift doing what she does now, 40 years in the future. So when we're <laughs> 70. Taylor Swift is still doing what she's doing now. That's what Bruce Springsteen is currently doing. Hopefully she maintains her sex appeal like he has. Yes, that would be, yeah, that would be impressive. Um, But I was, I I was, you know, um, at a good time. It's always good to go to a concert where everyone there is just so happy to be there. And there's absolutely no, uh, no one's in any sort of pretentious pose. Um, everyone's just delighted with each song that's played. Um, Mm -hmm. and, uh, Bruce, I mean, you know, was there noticeable weed smoke coming out of the audience or there was not not a, no, there was not a ton of that. It was, you know, I mean, this is like, uh, you know, my wife and I are the, Alex and I are in our early thirties and we were, uh, definitely in the, you know, (laughs) 90th percentile for, 
of young youth for youth. Yes. Vitality. Yeah. Well, I don't know. Vitality. I don't know. That's, uh, uh, there was a lot of rambunctious people. Um, (laughs) but, uh, yeah. And I just, I I have to say it really, I mean, for, for, for an artist to takes a lot of uh, ambition to declare yourself the bard of the American working class and like release album and after album of very well liked um uh can I call it like story rock like I ah mean, that's a good way to put it yeah uh, that is in if other artists were recording these kinds of songs we would find it um uh at least rather intellectual um if not pretentious uh mm. and to take that in the arena, to turn it into these, uh, you know, timeless anthems um, that will forever be associated with rock and roll is pretty impressive. Um, So anyway, that's, I'll end it by saying the river uh, is a very, very cool classic rock album. And it's a, it's worth a listen. Um, And I would recommend seeing Bruce, although it's it's better if you're going with someone who's a giant fan. Uh, otherwise, you. <laughs> yeah, one of these days I should sit down and figure out whether I like Bruce Springsteen or not. Because, yeah. Uh, I don't know. He was, you know, when we were coming up, he was sort of like, you would have to say that the 90s were like the period where it was the first time when Bruce Springsteen was passe, you know? Like yes. he was, he was big in the eighties. So totally, there was no impetus when I was starting to get into music to be like, Oh yeah, Bruce Springsteen, man. Um, the, um, but you know, he's, he's enjoyed a, at least moderate revival amongst the cognoscenti. So yeah, I, <coughs> I should find out if I'm, uh, if I'm proletarian enough to enjoy Bruce Springsteen. Um, what else was I going to say? Oh yeah. Uh, how does it, is it just a New Jersey thing that your wife is really into Bruce? I think actually I was discussing this with her and I, I think it is that it, in New Jersey there, uh, uh, at least, um, it, anyone who was born before like 1995, I don't know. I picked that out randomly. Like you're kind of expected to be a Bruce fan. Like he's <laughs> the local guy. I mean, yeah. on a much smaller scale, like if you like rock music and you're from Boston, like you, you kind of, you know, it's expected that you're into the Dropkick Murphys. Um, God, uh, what a what a dreary existence. <laughs> That's yeah. Well, um, <laughs> uh, I can't. I just. Oh man, I'm trying not to say anything, anything bad here. Um, uh, <laughs> you you uh, self hating Irish are always uh, yes gonna say something bad about yourselves right anyway. <laughs> um uh but yeah that's you know she described going to bruce springsteen concerts with all of her high school friends um uh, which i mean given that that she is younger than us um and our think about you and i's attitude towards bruce springsteen maybe when we were in high school i mean the idea that like multiple people from uh, our school would be going to see him i don't know that's yeah. that's pretty It'd be like if everybody we knew was like still thinking Tom Petty was the greatest thing ever when we were yes, in high school. Yes. Um, although I did like Tom Petty at that point. I was I a still like Tom big Petty. Tom Petty fan. There you go. Um, 
I feel like I would, it, I probably would have the level of enthusiasm for seeing Tom Petty uh, that many people from Jersey might have for Bruce. Maybe. Um, okay. Uh, yeah. So um, there was one other thing I was going to say, but about Bruce or about, no, I think we've had enough Bruce. Um, <laughs> just don't ask your wife whether Bruce is on her list of five people. <laughs> Um, <laughs> I don't know if 66 year old Bruce is. Oh, uh, be... I bet he is. Yeah, he's, he has a lot of vitality. Um, I mean, Billy Corgan is still on yours. So, uh, uh, oh man. <laughs> uh, yeah, let's. Yeah, yep, yep. I'm not going to deny that fully. Um, um, yeah, James, yeah. Um, <laughs> James Eha has aged better. That's um, absolutely true. So is Jimmy. Darcy's aged by far the worst. Don't don't look for pictures of her. I have not seen okay. a picture of Darcy in years. Um, that's terrible. Darcy is awesome and has you know is. Uh, what does she even do? I imagine her being like a, a graphic designer. She lives designer on a ranch in Michigan. Okay, hopefully she's still got enough pumpkins money to last her to retirement. She does own uh, the uh, all the sets from the Tonight Tonight video, the classic nineteen ninety six. That's cool. Tonight, now let's tonight, stop talking video. about Yeah. <laughs> oh my God, we did it again. We're doing it again. Um, uh, so uh, if we're ready to proceed, uh, yeah. I guess we sh- I should explain that uh, for, this, uh, for this discussion of meaningful music, um, Paul and I each picked three tracks that are, uh, I don't know, deep, deeply meaningful to mm-hmm. each of us. Is that how you thought of them? Yeah, you know, I don't know. We'll see how it plays out. Um, definitely tracks that have a special appeal to me. Um, some, uh, there certainly at least two of them are, um, you know, things that have really wrung my soul out at one point or another. So, uh, yes. I mean, would you say that you uh, have songs that these songs are in a, a special tier for you. Certainly. That you, you, yes. Okay. That's, that's kind of how I saw it. Like these are the, these tracks are above and beyond just songs that I, uh, like. Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah. So let's get into it. I, uh, we're going to alternate our lists and, uh, we're going to play a little sample of each track and then discuss them, uh, for a few minutes. And, uh, It'll be good. So uh, we're going to get into our first track now, which is Third Planet by Modest Mouse, the opening track off of their, uh, I consider it their third album, uh, The Moon in Antarctica. So here we go. All right. 
that was Third Planet by Modest Mouse, as I just said. Um, so you picked this. So Paul picked this song. Yes, I picked that song. And um, the so that is off of the Moon in Antarctica, which is still probably my second favorite album of all time. Um, it's the opening track, and um, you know uh, this track. Um, there are a bunch of tracks I really love off of that album, and this is one of the my very favorites. Um, what's interesting to me is that it's sort of a, the lyrics are sort of a mixture of um, the existential uh, angst and sort of cosmic depression that Isaac Brock puts into a lot of his lyrics, and then also sort of a very um, personal narrative or or. Uh, I don't know if it's personal, but very sort of more specific and small scale narrative of um, uh, what appears to be a couple who's lost a baby and um, uh, sort of dealing with that. And what's interesting is the way that he sort of pulls the um, the sort of local minute uh, uh, anguish of that situation into the sort of more broad uh, ontological sadness that permeates so much of his worldview. Um, so <laughs> that's a very dry intellectual way of saying that this is a really good song for uh, rocking out to when uh, you really just feel like the universe is cold and doesn't give a shit and someday you're going to die and uh, you mm-hmm. need some comfort on the way there. Um, and not only is it good for sort of personal... Uh, anguish like that but also this is a really rare quality it can do both that and be really fun to sing along to with friends so some of my friends in college and I for instance um, would you know we used to like play this all together and like all sing along to it and it works just as well that way so um, yeah Modest Mouse does have a sing-along quality that you know it's not I guess was uh, kind of latent until uh, you know float on came along and we realized uh, that a lot of people realized that they could, um, uh, you know, their songs were really fun. Like, yeah, that's sort of the reasons that they were, uh, you know, such a such a once you got into them, it was they were addictive because um, they're always kind of having fun, even at their absolute darkest. Yeah, they're very easy to sing along to. Um, as I realized once I read it in a review one time, like a lot of their songs have really the same dead simple vocal melody. It's uh, just major thirds like just very simple um, off of you on top of usually more uh, complicated and interesting mm-hmm. guitar stuff. Right. But um, it makes it very easy and fun to sing along to. And uh, the song is no exception. Well, and uh, Oh, go ahead. Uh, to get back to the track, I was just going to say that I, I, I think that, um, uh, the quality that you see in it where it's zoomed in very close to someone's suffering and then the camera pans way out. Yeah. Like not even to, you know, the human civilization, but just sees earth as this tiny speck in the universe to show you the full scale of, um, meaninglessness to your, (laughs) to your problems. And to do that in a brief, poppy indie rock song is uh incredibly impressive yeah 
And I have to call out the uh, the image of the the blood and all the human bodies on the earth counting as another ocean as uh, a really striking yes. and uh, somehow somehow deeply philosophical one without maybe it being easy to put your finger on exactly how that works. Um. I was just reading, you know, I was just reading this book by uh, one of my favorite authors, Stanislaw Lem. It's called uh-huh. One One Human Minute, and it is the fake. Uh, introduction to a book that supposedly uh, a fictional like a non-existent book that supposedly details everything that's happening in one minute on the <laughs> earth uh, and he, he definitely describes various body uh, bodily fluids as bodies of water so oh wow um, uh, yes that is in fact a, a very uh, it's 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 poetic even though it is um, disturbing as well yeah exactly um all right yeah i don't think we need to belabor each of these tracks too much so shall we move on to yours your first one uh yeah let's go for it this is flint parentheses for the unemployed and underpaid by sufjan stevens let's hear it Okay, uh, I take a moment that always, even just listening to a little snippet of it brings me to a very kind of quiet, introspective place. Mm. Um, so uh, this this track is the, the first song off Sufjan's uh, album, uh, Michigan, which I, I think all would agree was his breakout album. Um, and which I actually listened to because I saw it in Pitchfork's uh, best of the year list for, I believe, 2003. Correct. Uh, and I was, uh, I, I hadn't seen anything about it before that. And I was kind of fascinated by just the kind of the conceit of the album that he was, you know, telling the story of an entire state. And I was like, okay. And here we are, 35 states later. Yeah. Uh, so much good music. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, it's, that'll always be the best Sufjan burn. Um, the Guam album was my favorite. But. 
I'm still waiting for the Florida album. That would be unreal. Um, uh, although there are there are many songs about Oregon in on his uh, uh, latest album, Carrie and Lowell, because um, ah. uh, his mom lived here for a while. Do you want to hear something hilarious? Yes, yes. I have owned Carrie and Lowell since pretty much it came out, and. I haven't listened to it because I haven't like sat down and gotten myself into the headspace to invest into yeah, <laughs> a that's Sufjan t- album. That's that's tough. I it's it's a it's tougher than uh, uh, it's very Sufjan is how I'll say it. Um, okay, and I, I got it more into it once I saw him on tour for that. You know um, what? I'm gonna do that tonight after the show because awesome. I love Sufjan. It's not that I don't like Sufjan. It's that this is what happens to me a lot with music I really love is I don't listen to it very much because I want to, it's like, uh, yeah, you want us, you want to, it's like making love to your wife. You know, you don't want to like, you wouldn't just do it in the no tell motel, you know? But, uh, well, it depends on what you and your wife are into. Uh, Paul, you're hijacking my, my Sorry. meaningful track. Um, Sorry, go ahead, go ahead. Toward, no, that's okay. Well, like I said, I, I, I think actually you, um, you mentioned this with uh, Third Planet, uh, the previous track, is that um, you know one of the reasons this track is so meaningful to me is because it uh, sort of represents the entire album, uh, Michigan album, which is like one of my favorite albums. And, uh, you know, I've listened to it at many different points in my life when I needed to uh, get into Sufjan's um, the particular ideas that he's related here, um, which, uh, uh, and then in another parallel to the track you're talking about, I think, um, that, uh, on this song, which is about the, the town of Flint and, and I tells the story of, you know, of people there who have, you know, lost their jobs and, and sort of lost hope, um, for a, a better future for them or their family, um, still finding um, some sort of uh, some sort of redemption uh, within that, uh, even in this this place of despair, they're still finding a um, something that. <coughs> Sorry, that's okay. Yeah. Um, anyway, Sufjan takes that metaphor of external despair or you know this this story of the people in this town and uh of of these crumbling lives and kind of matches that to the tale of of inner despair and just what you might feel uh you know on a particular day um when or something if you feel like everything's going wrong um or you know you're you're just a place where you don't know what to do um and and I, you know, I really, this, I was listening to this, it was senior year of college and I was leaving mm-hmm. college after I finally like had felt in a really good place there. Um, you know, I finally felt at home there and then I had, you know, I had no idea what to do next. Um, and, uh, you know, everything from a job to, you know, you know, should I stay with the girl I was dating? You know, what I actually <laughs> liked uh, someone else a lot more. Uh, and, um, you know, I needed someone who understood, uh, not, not that life was bad, but, you know, when it was good, it could also be paired with an extraordinary amount of melancholy and loneliness, which I think Sufjan uh, 
certainly yeah. understood uh, when he wrote this song and seems to continue to understand. Um, Indeed. To this day. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and that's a really wonderful song that um, has always stuck with me, too. Uh, one of the one of the more memorable tracks off of a really excellent album. Um, you know, never mind. <laughs> okay. okay. I was going to get into your thoughts about feeling at home at college, but that's a whole digression. It is. Um, it is. But it's a pow- <laughs> it's a powerful it's a feeling that I think a lot of people face. So yeah, what's uh, interesting to me is that I don't really think I worry to that's not really a way I relate to where I live but yes we can have that discussion another time indeed indeed <laughs> um no excellent choice and uh it is both heartbreaking and um yeah like you said sort of finding finding the way to live a uh, a good life amidst you know bad circumstances a horrible economic depression <laughs> yes yes <laughs> and uh the good news is Detroit has turned everything around and oh boy. Uh, yeah, you know, it's not like they're poisoning the people of Flint with uh, lead now. So I will, good. S- I will say there's one thing about this song is that I, I don't, I'm not a hundred percent sure that Sufjan is doing exactly what I'm saying, but it doesn't matter. I, I yeah. just, uh, it's, it's what I, I got from it. I would say that it's an emotional truth. Yeah. No, I read the lyrics actually just before this and they're very sort of, Okay. sketched out yes but um you can you can put it all together yes it's called um, flint but yeah um uh, all right <laughs> it is actually amazing that it's actually much worse now in flint than it was when i go so yeah uh, uh anyway all right uh what's what's next all right next we have joanna newsom's sawdust and diamonds the centerpiece track off of her landmark album east from 2006 From the top of the flight of the white, white stairs Through the rest of my life Do you wait for me there? There's a bell in my ears There's the white, white Drop a bell down the stairs Hear it fall forevermore Hear it fall forevermore Drop a bell off a Wires, the wires, the wires, and the 
Is um, that is a song that I could have let play for its full ten minute uh, running time because it continuously goes near new places. I would I would not I would never <laughs> I would never object to that. Yeah, so uh, this song is just fucking amazing to me because uh, there are pretty much exactly two elements to it. Um, there's the heart part, which by itself would be. Um, just a really exquisite piece of classical music, really, um, that I could yes. listen to without any lyrics over it whatsoever. And then you have the vocal part, which, if you just read the lyrics, it's a wonderful poem, um, uh, just by itself. And then you take that and you have Joanna Newsom sing it with incredible uh inventiveness and passion at the same time over the music and uh yep it's it's just stunning um so this is uh i've considered it carefully and this is my favorite piece of music ever um it really doesn't get any better um you know it's sort of a story of a uh a relationship told from a very interesting a uh, very feminine perspective um, without being sort of ideological about its feminism at all. Not that there's anything wrong with that, but um, you know, it's, there are certain aspects of the stuff she talks about that seem sort of alien to the uh, cis male experience uh, while being totally relatable and, and heartbreaking and fascinating. Um, and um, you know, it sort of moves from uh a situation where she's feeling heartbroken and uh, sort of trying to decide what's become of a relationship to detailing in very poetic, um, uh, I think sort of, uh, what is the word? Um, shit, what is the word for the genre that T.S. Eliot is in? I want to say Mod- imagism, which is before him. Modernism. Uh, yeah, I guess so. Anyway, I I always think of T.S. T. Eliot when I think of these lyrics. There's a sort of yes. s- similar objective correlative quality to a lot of the images she uses. Um, but, um, you know, moves through sort of a, a very poetic rendition of how their relationship went to uh, sort of after the, the movement we just listened to there, it breaks down and gets sort of this lilting, loping quality. And she's, it's just the most amazingly soul-piercing a bit of all when she starts the part where she repeats the word uh the phrase why the long face yes, over and over again that that i mean that's definitely one of my favorite parts of any song i've ever heard um, exactly and then I, it goes through yeah. several more movements of awesomeness after that but go on well i just that's the point where i could come in and say that i i think this could have easily been on my list of most meaningful songs uh i i see no reason to quibble with your <laughs> Uh, designation of it as one of the best pieces of music ever, certainly of our time. Uh, and, you know, I I don't know how this song works. I mean, you describe <laughs> the elements, and I think it is just... Uh, I, I think her lyrics here are um, probably responsible for that, that truly sublime experience. Like, 
mm-hmm. despite her amazing performance in the composition, I think that there's so much to the the poem she wrote for this that I, I think it it would obviously st- could stand alone, mm-hmm. um, and it just creates this very vivid scene for me, um, even though it's uh, you know at, at times abstract and. Um, you know, it, 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 certainly not literal. Um, yeah. And, uh, yeah, every time every, this song, it, it, unlike so many other songs, I feel like when I listen to this one, uh, it, the effect is never dulled. Um, yeah. Even though I try not to listen to it too much, just that's because, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Same thing. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, it's funny, uh, actually the, though you were, I guess unsurprisingly uh, that you were the first person to play this song for me. Um, I was? Yeah. um, I had only listened to her first album and we were driving back from the Grand Canyon. Yeah, I was going to bring this story up. (laughs) Yes, you put this CD on and you were uh, extremely into it. And I was like, uh, I I got into it as well. Um, Yeah. Yeah, Uh, Yeah, which is, it speaks to the power of the song that it could... uh, get you on the first time in an extremely loud half broken down Isuzu trooper from the eighties while sitting there with three dudes. Yes. Um. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. It is. It, it has that level of of power. And there's really nothing else that sounds like Joanna Newsom like this. I mean, there are other folk musicians, they're their harpists, but I mean, just her voice and the, the things she does with it. Um, yeah, the incredible range in every melody. I don't know. It's a it's an incredible song, and I love it. Um, yes, if you have not listened to it, go out and listen to it. it yeah, it, it will change your life and the whole album because there are um, like the first track is almost as good, um, and uh, there are five tracks, and I would say four of them are some of my favorite tracks ever. Yes. So, anyway. Um, All right, shall we move on to your next song? Uh, Yes, Uh, let's go ahead and play it. Uh, This is Helplessness Blues uh, by the Fleet Foxes. I was raised up believing I was somehow unique Like a snowflake Distinct among snowflakes Unique in each way you'd conceive And now after some thinking I'd say I'd rather be A functioning cog in some great machinery Serving something beyond me But I don't Um, it's, <laughs> it's hard to start talking in the middle of one of your favorite songs of all time. Yeah. This uh, is a big flaw in your idea for this it, podcast. It is. It is. Um, after, after your last track, it will come back to just us weeping. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> yes. Um, <laughs> uh, so let me actually, I, I, I will, uh, solve this problem because I have, I'd, I want to read, uh, uh, 
this quote that's one of my favorite quotes of all time, which kind of describes what I, I how I feel about this track and probably all the tracks we're listening to today. Um, uh, this is from a play which turned into a movie called The History Boys. Um, huh. It's by uh, a playwright, Alan Bennett. Um, and uh, it's, a, it's a play about uh, a boy's boarding school in Britain in the 80s. Uh, very so intellectual. Hell? Actually, it's it's about the nerdy. It's about the nerdier kids there. So it's okay. kind of kind of fun, um, and at times very hellish for them too. Um, but it's about like it's kind of about um, uh, pedagogy and uh, the you know the experience of teaching, like the teacher child. I don't, I don't want to get too much in the weeds, but um, the uh, one of their instructors, uh, Hector. Um, who is very fond of, of, you know, the uh, more delicate of the boys, uh, (laughs) you know, um, the poets in in his classes. Uh, It's played by uh, Richard Griffiths, uh, better known as Mr. Dursley from uh, Harry Harry Potter movies. Um, So when he was talking to one of his students about uh, uh, a poem, and uh, here's a quote, he says, Uh, The best moments in reading are when you come across something, a thought, a feeling, a way of looking at things that you'd thought special, particular to you. And here it is set down by someone else, a person you've never met, maybe even someone long dead. And it's as if a hand has come out and taken yours. Mm. And to me that, you know, the first, well, the first time I heard that, I mean, that just seemed to describe exactly what I was seeking out in art, whether it was, you know, music, uh, or uh literature or uh um, anything else and uh uh i think that um that idea that you know in art more than any uh, as opposed to anywhere else you can just find this idea that someone actually is experiencing the world like the same way that you are and that you know it's not just an, an illusion or there aren't just sort of coincidences but that you know they are actually you know even though they're a different mind they're having a a a, same experience as you you know they're it's Mm -hmm. a shared experience um and so to finally get back to this track um which is uh uh i think of course it's a beautifully written and and performed song um with very, two very distinct movements, it has this part that we were thinking about. There's three, you know, three verses, three cor- uh, with the you know the, the chorus repeated three times, and um, and then it has this long, mm-hmm. you know, kind of pastoral a- outro um, that's kind of like almost like a period of contemplation after the intense uh, self uh, self doubt of the first half. Um, or- it's sort of like the second part of a sonnet. Uh, you know, yes. the way you sort of transition to another way of looking at the issue, you know? Exactly, yes. Um, thank you for keeping up the literary thread here. Oh, yeah. Um, so, like, just the lyrics we were just we were just hearing, you know, uh, I was raised up believing I was somehow unique, you know, like a snowflake, distinct among snowflakes, unique in which way you can see. And now, after some thinking, I'd say I'd rather be a functioning, a cog in some great machinery serving something beyond me. And just to me that those lines and and the rest of the song expands on those themes uh, Mm -hmm. just really got it some 
core conflict in my life. Whereas, you know, seeing myself as, uh, you know, someone who's supposed to do something special and unique uh, as in opposition to someone who just, you know, really enjoys living and just wants to be part of, you know, humanity in the world. And, 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 you know, it's sort of like talking about like ambition versus, I don't know, satisfaction or um, contentment, you might contentment, say. contentment. Yes. Thank you. Better word. Um, and so when, uh, I guess when my mid twenties millennial self heard this song, uh, it, it certainly spoke to me on a, a many different levels and, and that kind of, you know, I think that's why to get back to why this song is meaningful is that it, it, or, or why songs are meaningful to me is that they are able to, you know, they're specific, they're able to talk directly to me. And it seems like I'm, I'm in, in a way having, uh, this kind of cosmic conversation, uh, yeah. with the, with the artist, um, or with the song. Yeah, absolutely. Um, this should be like the official song of being 24 and having a college degree. Yes, um, totally. <laughs> totally. I think that's why a lot of people like this song too. Yeah. Um, it is wonderful. It's interesting the way you described the contrast because I actually read it a little bit differently. I read the, the being a cog in machinery thing a little bit more negatively than you just described it. Okay. As sort of yeah. more the pressure to, to become a, you know, a, a capitalist drone unit. Mm, um, interesting. And you know, the, the, the material rewards of doing that are, are excellent compared to the material rewards of being a unique snowflake who follows his own dream. Right. Um, unless you're lucky, like Robin Pecknold and you get to be uh, a professional, well-acclaimed musician. But, um, <laughs> <laughs> um, but, um, and so then I read the song after that as sort of being a little bit, you know, sort of a, uh, either a, a dialectic between two people or two parts, two impulses within one person between those two things. And, um, you know, it seems like by the end he's, you know, he's singing about uh, having an orchard and uh, it's sort of the office space conclusion that, you know, it's uh, it's it's nice to just be out there using your body to live, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's, I think that, um, to, that's a, that's a fine explication of the song. Um, (laughs) and there are probably more than just two different options. I think it's almost the, uh, perhaps it's even more like about the, uh, near infinite number of options that one could do with a very finite life. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that, that, you know, where you don't even know what the debate is, you know, like where you, you don't even know what the question is to ask about that. You know, if, if you're trying to decide what to do, uh, uh, on any given day or year or whatever. Um, um, but it does yeah. have sort of a, both a, it has kind of a triumphant resignation at the end i would yeah I would say yeah where it's like yep he's working in the orchard uh yeah. but he, or dreaming of it yeah, yeah. And, and still and is maybe even dreaming of working in that orchard and while he's working in it he's having a, a dream within a dream where he's back uh you know 
and and being some famous artist because uh, the last line someday I'll be like the man on the screen like yeah as could have you know that's a, true there are multiple there are at least three options when you put it that way There's yes. the artist the sort of simple rustic man and the sort of more commercial corporate man yes um, all of which have their appeals and their downfalls um, yeah excellent choice. Um, I should say I totally agree uh, with you about a lot about um, that being at least one aspect of of experiencing great art is uh, that sort of tapping your personal experience into the more universal, yes, um, or or the shared empathetic experience, which yes. is something I didn't talk about as much with Joanna Newsom. I talked more about the alienness, but you know, in that song, like just the she's able to. There's a there's a a specific case of a relationship, but also sort of a universal principle of, of finding, um, meaning peace and, or not even peace, but you know, something to live for amidst, uh, sorrow, you know? Right. Yes. Anyway. Um, okay. I'm going to go into my last song. Okay. Which is, uh, the electrician by the Walker brothers. Baby, it's slow When lights go low There's no help, no Baby, it's slow When lights go Uh, Scott Walker again uh, the electrician off of the uh, 1978 album um, what is it called night moves I forget I can't remember anymore um, had you heard that song before I put it on I, this list I had not heard that song um, I had heard uh, Scott Walker's work uh, who I, I, I I'm a big I'm a fan of Scott Walker uh, 
uh, but I had not heard, uh, I had not really heard anything of his with the Walker brothers. Um, yeah. So I had not heard that. Yeah. So it's technically the Walker brothers. It's the last thing they put out. Um, but really that album was three parts each done pretty much solo by one of the Walker brothers. So it's really like Scott Walker. Um, got it. It sounds like Scott Walker. Yeah. Um, and I hadn't heard the song until I watched the movie Bronson, uh, from, uh, I think it was 2008 starring Tom Hardy. It's a biopic of, uh, Britain's most famous real life criminal, a dude who's um, just in jail forever because every, whenever he's in general population in jail, he gets in a fight almost immediately. Um, mm. uh, he's this really crazy dude. It's uh, directed by Nicholas Winding Refn of Drive fame. Um, and uh, it's an excellent movie. And there's a scene where um, a bunch of orderlies are subduing Tom Hardy uh, as this dude and um, like the it erupts into that orchestral part like right as he's thrashing around with like six guys nice um, so it's a great scene the song was exceedingly striking um, and so I looked it up and um, I would say this one doesn't have as much of a a deep emotional personal resonance for me at least in a sort of more literal sense of I can um you know, it's not like, uh, how do I des- describe it? Anyway, what's interesting is you get this contrast of weird sort of like John Carpenter horror movie synths at the beginning uh-huh. with yes. strange baritone singing. And then this incredibly beautiful, uh, you know, not even abrasive at all orchestral eruption in the middle, but with um, more weird Scott Walker singing about incomprehensible things that are disturbing without being... Um, picturable, you might say. <laughs> um, <laughs> like you, you kind of get the sense that he's singing about a specific scene or idea, but you have no idea what that actually is um, because it's the the content is not really there in the lyrics. Um, but um, yeah, I just love the the contrast. You know, the the song then goes on to a, an extended instrumental version of that, and then goes back to the sort of more disturbing uh, synth part. And it's sort of all, I don't know, to me what I get out of it, and this is definitely one of those songs where there's a lot of uh, a reader response required to get any meaning out of it, I think. Right. Um, uh, you know, you sort of, it evokes for me sort of the, the yin-yang of um, beauty and um, vague horror that is uh life when you're not busy doing something that occupies your mind (laughs) Um, (laughs) um so yeah i just really love it i love how unique it is i mean again i can't think of any other song that really goes through these moods and does them this way and combines these elements and has anything like a voice like that um yeah i mean that's that's sort of it it's it seems like this song like is something like if you were it's so uniquely weird that if yeah. you if you were seeking out this particular um I don't know if you want to say it like series of musical thoughts um you wouldn't, <laughs> you wouldn't even know that you were seeking them out but like once you heard this you're like whoa yeah this is this reflects some odd nameless emotion I have felt about life <laughs> at some point yeah, I uh, I saw just before we recorded this that uh, apparently 
um, Brian Eno once stated that uh, uh, nothing had surpassed this song for sort of experimental weirdness uh, since it was recorded. I don't I know could, when he said this, but <laughs> I, I would, I, I could definitely see Brian Eno really digging this song. Yeah, it's uh, and that's high praise coming from Brian Eno. Like, yeah, uh, Brian Eno's Especially, like, yo, this shit is weird. <laughs> that's, wow. <laughs> yeah, that is. Uh, Brian Eno thinks you're weird. <laughs> you, you are weird. Indeed. Um, um, yeah, so uh, everybody should listen to this song. I have to say, nothing else on the album, even the Scott Walker portion of the album, is anything close to like this. So it's really sort of to, a standalone track for me. Well, with Scott with Scott Walker, you really have to like listen around and find your, um, uh, yeah. you know, f- find the, the little bit that's for you. I will say many of our uh, listeners may know him uh, from uh, one of his songs was included. <laughs> hold on, hold on, hold on. The life of okay. Many of our listeners is a funny phrase right there. Um, but anyway, go on. <laughs> <laughs> we got a lot of listeners at this point. Yeah, um, so episode In the future. five. Yeah. <laughs> um, many of our listeners may know him. His uh, work from the movie uh, Wes Anderson movie, The Life Aquatic, uh, where his song uh, 30, Century, Thirty Century Man." Uh, is played. I now realize I've talked myself into a place where I would have to sing part of that song. And I'm just <laughs> not going to do it, but it's, it's this, uh, kind of short, uh, uh, acapella song during the helicopter crash. Oh, really? Um, in that. Yeah. Uh, spoiler, I had no idea there was Scott alert. Walker on there. Yes. Um, hold on. Now I got to look up the lyrics. I'm sorry. Um, Yeah. Um, I'll attempt to improvise and we can cut it if it sucks. Um, (laughs) yeah. Um, Uh, what you got? Um, oh, it starts. The first line is, is see the dwarves and see the giants. There you go. (laughs) Which one would you choose to be? That's it. That's the only time I will sing in this podcast ever. It's an awesome one minute, 30 second long song. Um, so, uh, anyway, that's interesting. I haven't watched that movie in forever and I don't yeah. remember that particular yeah. bit of music in it. Um, cool. Uh, yeah, yeah. Good, good song. I'm glad, I'm glad to have heard it. Uh, cool. all right, let's, let's move on to the last one here. My last track. Yeah. Uh, this is, um, uh, a song by, uh, not a surf, uh, called Icebox, straight cool. from the nineties. <laughs>
So uh, that track is Icebox uh, off Not A Surf's 1996 album, High Low, uh, which um, has uh, the MTV Buzzbin hit popular on it, Hmm. Uh, kind of a uh, gimmicky song that uh, uh, 14-year-old Joe uh, really, really expressed <laughs> his feeling about the popular kids um, in high school, in ninth grade. Um, and uh, so I had this album then, but I really only listened to that one song. Um, and it wasn't until a few years later, um, maybe even until I got to college, that I started to hear, um, I think from uh, some people from like the Smashing Pumpkins message board that I may or may not still read to this day. <laughs> um, uh, that, you know, not a surf, the, the band was good and that this whole album was worth listening to. Um, and uh, so I, I gave it a few listens and this song, it, it's, it's not like, it's not a standout piece of, of, music i mean it's a very well done uh alternative rock track you know it's a fine example mm-hmm. um but there's something about the chorus uh bury me in sorrow cover me enjoy mm-hmm. that you know 2000 joe who's still in the afterglow of having seen american beauty and you know <laughs> decided all oh, life is beautiful every single you know um uh, it, it just it it sort of spoke to that in me, um, and and I got kind of addicted to it. I used that that quote from the chorus in you know um, various instant messenger profiles for many years. Joe, and I remember this very clearly from your AIM away message. Yes, whatever. totally. I think it may have been like in my AIM profile, so there all the time. Yeah, because yes. The even without hearing the song, the line stuck with me. For yes, all this time. It's it's a good line, and and it's just I guess it's a very simple anthem, um, mm-hmm. and uh, uh, I, I kind of actually realized that I I kind of like it um, uh, uh, for because it was not like a well known song, mm-hmm. and I liked that it was just you know an obscure deep cut from like a '90s album, and like not many people knew it. And mm-hmm. still don't. Um, and that in that way, you know, I don't have to worry about its like context in popular culture in any way or what people think about Not A Surf because people don't really care about Not A Surf that much. It's just this song can just be, you know, for me. Um, and I don't have to like really promote, promote it um, um, or get anyone else to like it. Uh, not that I feel that pressure anymore, but at the time when I first listened to it, um, I realized was the time when I was kind of transitioning um, from that point you were talking about last week, Paul, where like the bands you like are part of your personal philosophy, you know, like you have mm-hmm. to, 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 and I, to realizing that, um, you know, you don't have to believe in bands as like a point of faith. You can like understand yeah songs as something that as a way of like reflecting on yourself instead of like you know needing to incorporate them yeah uh, within you you're um, you're you're 
opinion about them is a referendum on your worth as a human. <laughs> right. Yeah. It's no longer a referendum. Yeah. Yes. That. Yes. Exactly. Um, so, uh, yeah. yeah. So, you know, there's not much too much to say about the song. Like I said, it's a pretty simple song, but it's, well, it's here it is, you know, thir- I, 16 I actually, years later. I actually think you're underselling it. So I listened to the song for the first time last night, even though I knew its chorus lines from your AIM profile for years. Yes. Um, and it fucking kicks ass, man. <laughs> okay. Um, <laughs> That's good. That's it's val. I guess I lied. I'm glad to have the validation. <laughs> so, First of all, it's only like three minutes and 15 seconds long, and it felt like six minutes because it just punishes you so hard the whole way. Yes. In a really powerful way. Um, And though maybe the chord progression isn't the most inventive thing since Beethoven, um, I really love the way they alternate different uh, guitar effects. Yes. In a way that not a lot of bands ever have done it precisely that way i think you know i've listened to a lot of rock music and i can't think of too many songs where they sort of uh you know hit the stomp box and go from one type of loud distortion to a very different sounding type of loud distortion for like half a bar and then go back you know yes Um, yes and that's really effective and just uh the song is propulsive throughout uh does not let up at all once it gets going and um the combination of that sort of insane energy with a very sort of ambiguous chorus, I would say, um, is yeah. very interesting to me. All the lyrics are very ambiguous. Uh, um, you know, stay until you're sure that I'm asleep and give all my things away. Yeah. You know, and that and, sounds like some sort of, you know, relationship breakup thing. But yeah. I, but then I, at the end it gets a little dark. It's like after death, I'll think of you somehow. It's just, yeah. it, it, it gets dark, and it, but it's dark in this kind of delightfully amb- yeah. ambiguous way. And then, you know, the, the verses are generally dark. And then the first half of the chorus, you're like, bury me in sorrow. Okay. And then cover me in joy. And it's like, it's sort of, it's sort of a puzzle how to reconcile those two, that couplet, you know? Yeah. And uh, I don't know that I have a good answer, but it's, uh, you know, a lot of these songs really, this is interesting to me, they really play on this tension of um, anguish and uh, the will to live at the same time, you know? Yeah. Um, Now that I'm looking at the lyrics to this song, like, I'm like, this song is about it seems now like someone is killing themselves and they're telling someone (laughs) what to do afterwards, but it's, it's, that's possible too. Yeah, it's possible. Actually. Yeah, you're right. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. That's, it's a little more literal than, than I thought at the time. Well, Um, that works well though. I like that interpretation. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. So do you have any overall thoughts? I, I have a few, you know, bringing this all together type of things. Well, I think my thoughts, I've kind of brought it along the way that I I think meaningful songs, uh, these deeply meaningful songs, well, they bring me to certain places and times in my life and and maybe to a certain key moment or just, but then in a way that those, those times of, you know, crisis or growth, uh, still, you know, are, are still unfolding within me or still affect who I am today. So I, th- I feel like that it's like this direct emotional connection to things that I've thought or experienced that I wouldn't necessarily be able to 
have that connection if I was just simply thinking back on that time or remember, mm. you know, or recalling a sort of internal debate or discussion or, you know, uh, moment of despair uh, yeah. within myself. Um, yeah. No, that's actually a very powerful way that music often works. Um, definitely end up associating certain songs with specific things that happened. It was interesting to me that we both ended up choosing two sort of more uh, driving abrasive song, or one sort of more driving abrasive song and two, uh, you know, very lyrical, <laughs> more, you know, traditionally beautiful type songs. Yes, yes. Um, um, it says something about us and our taste that when we really had to nail it down to three. I will say an honorable mention for me that probably would have taken the place of the Scott Walker song would have been uh, the Smashing Pumpkins Hummer if we hadn't just done a whole podcast about yes, the Smashing I, Pumpkins. I, I specifically <laughs> avoided the Smashing Pumpkins, but also because there is, you know, I, I think there's a different place for meaningful bands. That's and true. Albums that I, yeah. Yes. I, but I, I avoided them for that for because we just <laughs> spent a long time talking about them. Yeah. Um, but I think the, uh, uh, I was thinking as I, after I was thinking about the songs that I picked, I was looking at them and I was like, I think this makes a neat little micro playlist uh, to go through my three songs in order. I think yours worked that way to, as well. And then I think when you put them all six in order in the alternating way we just did them, it also works out well because you get the two rock songs as the bookends. And then in between, you sort of get some fairly different flavors of uh, you know more uh, melodic, harmonic type things. Um, and they're... There are different variations, again, on this theme of sort of dealing with uh, the um, the crucible that is life, yes. um, <laughs> which ultimately is the best thing that art can do. There are lots of things art can do, but when it makes me, when it gives me some perspective on, um, uh, again, the anguish and beauty that, you know, uh, uh, exist separately and together and, and highlight each other and contrast each other, uh, throughout life, that's uh, that's as good as it gets. Um, you know, just having that that sort of experience and document working well together. Yes, I just I have to say yes, I agree completely. <laughs> um, and uh, these are six uh, really damn good songs. Yeah, we'll put up a Spotify playlist, and um, we'll yeah, and, and tweet us. Tweet us the songs that are meaningful to you. Yeah, I was going to we'll, say. We'll retweet them. As we sign off here, um, we haven't said this yet, so please give us feedback. Um, uh, even even hate feedback, which won't be as useful, but might be worth, um, might be funny, so we can mock you to our audience. But, um, uh, you know, uh, feedback, whether negative or positive, um, like uh, you sound like a gay frog or... Um, Oh, that's, uh, <laughs> that's, that's positive feedback, right? Yeah, exactly. Okay. Um, or, um, <laughs> just, I, want, I don't want to know it, what's cut, next. Cut, cut, I don't want to know what's next. Um, you can send this. Yeah, or, you or positive, send, you know, you guys are doing this well. Um, we would love to hear it via Twitter or email. Yes. Uh, at Savage Beast Pod on yes. Twitter and Savage Beast Pod at gmail.com. Yeah. Or uh, iTunes reviews are also great. We appreciate those. Yeah. Make sure those are positive. Yeah. Let's keep those positive. Well, I hear <laughs> even the number, having the number is good. So, okay. um, 
and it probably looks more real if a few people hate us. There you go. Uh, um, but uh, yeah, uh, thanks for listening, everybody. And uh, we look forward to hearing from you. SavagePeacePod.com. Have a good one. <laughs> <laughs> what?